Well, I would argue every Christian should be reading biography. So if, if you're a new Christian, start with biography. If you're a professor in a seminary, you need to be reading Christian biography. Biography, obviously, they're good stories, and so everyone loves a good story and a page-turner. But more than that, I think good Christian biography teaches us and shows us what the Christian life looks like with the ups and downs. The best biographies are those that show when people made a mess of their Christian life and God still used them. Welcome to Help Me Teach the Bible. I'm Nancy Guthrie. Help Me Teach the Bible is a production of the Gospel Coalition sponsored by Crossway, a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible Christian Books and Tracts. Learn more at crossway.org. I'm sitting today with my friend, Jonathan Carswell. Uh, I first met him over on this side of the pond, where I am today, in the UK. But Jonathan has also bought a house and he's got a business going in the States and sometimes that brings him our way to Nashville, which we always love. Uh, But Jonathan, as I looked at uh, your bio, you know, usually it is in sentence form. I actually found your Twitter bio a helpful way to go at introducing you and who you are because, you know, it's just kind of individual words, but they're all significant Mm -hmm. in regard to you. Christian, Mm -hmm. number one. Absolutely. Number one. We'll talk about how that came about in your life. Uh, Husband. Husband to Felicity. That's right. We love Felicity. (laughs) Father to Rufus and Billy. Uh, Yep. Let me just tell you, the smiles on these two boys, if you can look the smiles on these boys and it not make your day, something is sincerely <laughs> wrong with you. Try it at five in the morning. Though. Oh, anyway. not something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, bookseller. Yeah. Jonathan, yep. what, what, did you call yourself owner? What do you call yourself in regard to your publishing company? Uh, I just say I'm part of the team. But oh, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 10 of those publishing. So we'll talk a little bit more yep. about that. Then you... It's interesting. This comes last. I, it, uh, you can tell me what that means. Liverpool fan. Okay, so that's um, football. So <laughs> soccer for those in the states. Yeah, I'm a, yes. I'm a Liverpool fan. But it's what um, does that tell us about you? Uh, <laughs> I'm mad. <laughs> I'm often disappointed. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go. Let's start with Christian. Mm. Some people, if they have any familiarity with the UK scene, may know the name Roger. Well, uh, a couple of people may, but yes. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's my dad. Uh, he's an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And so he's an itinerant evangelist. He would travel around. He's not based just in one church, but he would travel around to churches, mm-hmm. uh, universities, anywhere really that would invite him. So today, <laughs> as it happens, he was speaking at Eton at the school, wow. uh, but just wherever and uh, would share the gospel winsomely and as clearly as he can. And, yeah. So did, was he always doing that during your growing up years? Yeah, so he was, um, he was a school teacher, he was an RE teacher, uh, religious education. But in his spare time, he was out, out and about. And then the year I was born, actually, he went full-time as an itinerant evangelist. He lives by faith and, and travels around. And, um, and so that was the year I was born. I think probably when I was born, he wanted to get out. So, um, <laughs> so he's been in that 30-odd years now. And um, he would be away for about 10 months of the year. Um, not 10 in one, months a year? Yeah, not in one block, but he'd go for two, three weeks, back for two or three days, away then for four or five days back. And that, that 
was normal really so that's how we we grew up so um i'm the youngest of four and um so that's all i've known really throughout my mm-hmm. throughout my life when i was did you resent that do you know i never did actually um it was definitely hard in some ways it was like growing up in a single parent family mm-hmm. but he uh, worked extremely hard to make sure that all four kids knew that uh, he loved us. And uh, incredibly, he wrote to all four children, even when uh, my siblings moved away for university, etc. he wrote to all four of us every day he was away. Seriously? Yeah, so he would write a postcard, an individual postcard to us, and uh, every day we'd get it done. Sometimes it was just a, a short note. Sometimes he would really cram it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all knew that he loved us, even though he was away. And when he came back, it was really special times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard when he was away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did Christ become real mm-hmm. in your own life and not just this thing dad does? Yeah, so I knew the gospel inside out. And um, we had it at home and we went to Christian meetings. And so we we knew the gospel inside out, all four of us. In fact, I don't say this because it's I'm proud of it. But a year before I became a Christian, I became a Christian age 16 at a, a camp that was actually in, in Holland. It was a sports camp. and um, But the year before, they asked me to give my testimony to just share how I became a Christian. But I knew I wasn't a Christian. But I also knew I couldn't say, I'm not a Christian, and save face for my dad, etc. So I, I gave my testimony. I knew the words to say and whatever, but it wasn't real for me. Uh, but the following year, after a rugby injury, which really made me begin to think, you know, what's life all about? I went on the sports camp. It was a cycling holiday in Holland. I couldn't cycle. I sat on the back of a tandem for 10 days. But each night the gospel was explained, how Jesus came into the world to die for us, to rescue us, to save us, which I knew. Uh, but on the final night, sin was explained, again, in a way that I've probably heard many, many times. But the, the work of the Spirit was on my life. And I recognized I really, I needed a savior. And Jesus came to, to save and to all my wrong that... It's only 16, but there was plenty of it in my life. I knew I could could cast onto Christ and uh, and he would remove it as far as the east is from the west. There's been many bumps along the road in my Christian life. And yet I still cling to the fact that Jesus died for me. And, uh, and so I'm right with with God in heaven because of that. So, yeah. so as you emerged from young adulthood, uh, what were your ambitions? Yeah, so th- that really... Becoming a Christian really changed the whole direction of my life. I grew up in uh, in the city of Leeds in the north of England, but I really wanted to be a farmer. So from the age of eight, I rented a field from a local farmer. And Wait, um, wait a minute. <laughs> from the age of eight, you rented a field? Yeah, I, I am, I'm quite odd, really. But um, <laughs> So yeah, I just I, I negotiated a deal with a, a local farmer. And, uh, and um, so I, I, I had chickens and I would sell the eggs to my teachers and wherever. When I did you go out to the field to get the eggs? So on my way back from school, um, I'd go and uh, go and feed them. Okay. I had some goats as well, but they were just <laughs> for fun, really. But um, so I always wanted to be a farmer. And then when I became a Christian, that just changed things, really. The following two years um, were just so significant in terms of spiritual growth and development. I uh, I then wanted to tell other people about Jesus. That's really what mm. I wanted to do. And particularly young people. I think because I wasn't messed up and uh, so problematic that uh, it would hit the headlines or anything. But I, I had issues and challenges as teenagers do. And I then just felt, well, I'd love to share the gospel with other mm. teenagers. So I took a year out at a church and began sharing 
uh, the gospel through the work there at uh, a local further education college. And I thought, well, this this seems good. And I, you know, I'm not massively academic. I'm dyslexic, so just studies were hard. And so I applied for one course at a university. And uh, amazingly, I got in. And uh, it was to study youth work and theology at Durham University. And just as an aside, about a term in, my tutor took me to one side and brought me into his study and said, Jonathan, can you just tell me what you got in your exams before the university uh, entrance? And so I said, and he said, well, that's interesting. That's what I've got here. We should never have accepted you here. But keep your head down and you can stay. So I did my best to keep my head down and, uh, and I stayed and God was just very good. And then from there, I became a youth pastor in Northern Ireland for three years. And, uh, and that's what I began doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us what 10 of those, how it began, yeah. what it was, what it's become at this point. As I said, I'm dyslexic. I find reading really hard work. But once I became a Christian, I began reading Christian biography. And I'm from a family of where there's books in the house and my, my parents had written, etc. And um, so books were always a part of, of life. Um, but while I was a youth pastor, as a hobby on a Saturday, I began um, buying good Christian books in big numbers and then selling them to anybody who would buy them, basically, with a desire to get good Christian books out there. There are, there are lots of Christian books available. Lots of them are not great. Many of them are harmful because they don't hold to the Bible. But lots of them are really good, and I wanted people to get the good stuff. So I began this hobby of selling books in tens. And it was just a hobby. It was just really um, for, for that. But um, people would then say, I'll get 10 of those, 10 of those, and 10 of those. <laughs> and so that's where the name came from. So uh, over the sort of next six, eight months, it began to, to grow and develop to the point where my uh, my boss at church said, Jonathan, you just can't get pallets of books delivered to the, <laughs> to the church office anymore. So I needed to then begin to think, what was I going to do full time? I prayed about it. I felt the right thing was to to sell the books. Mm-hmm. And so how did it grow from there? You were in Northern Ireland I was at in Northern point. Ireland at that point and uh, because of various things I moved back to uh, the mainland, back back to England and um, yeah, just began emailing out to people. We then got a website. We then started providing bookstores for uh, for conferences and 10 of those really is a, is a retail outlet of the best Christian books that are out there. So yeah, we, you've used this term good mm-hmm. books and now you're saying best and that mm. some are harmful. Mm. So maybe before we go on with the story of 10 of those, yeah. h- how do you define those things? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. It's, it is really hard because there's so much out there. And how do you know um, what's going to be Do you have a grid? Yeah, we do. I mean, when it comes to 10 of those, we pick which books we, we get on three levels. So first of all, does it hold to the Bible? That, so that is the primary thing. So... J.C. Ryle had an amazing line that he said, um, judge all books by how closely they they stick to the Bible. Those that stick closely are good, and those that are far away from the Bible, be wary of them. And so that's what we do. So we test them against the Bible. So we, we read what we sell to see whether it holds the Bible. And if it does, great. The next thing then we look at is its accessibility. So is it readable? Is it well-written? Is it enjoyable? Is the cover attractive? All these sorts of things which play a part in people reading. And then the other thing is cost. We want to get books out in a big way. Um, There are a lot of people out there that don't know anything about the Bible. So we want to get lots out. So they're the three things. But crucially, it must hold the Bible. 
sure some books are going to be a bit more expensive or these sorts of things but it must hold to the bible we don't just want to sell it because it's cheap or it's well written does it hold to god's word because that's what changes people's lives when books point people to jesus when books hold to the bible that transforms a life so i want to get those sorts of books into the hands of as many people as possible I bet you have stories that you probably couldn't tell on this podcast about talking with publishers about particular books they really wanted you to carry that you determined, you know what, it just doesn't meet these criteria. Uh, yeah, I, there's one that I don't mind sharing because I think it it's always been a challenge. You know, in the integrity of our business, uh, the integrity of our ministry is do we sell things because we want to make money or do we sell mm-hmm. things because we want people to discover Jesus? Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether um, friends in the States will know, but um, there's a guy over here called Steve Chalk mm-hmm. and it kind of kicked off all about substitutionary atonements. And he, he wrote a book which... Lots of people wanted to read because he writes very, very well and is engaging. And And one particular church wanted to order a large number and we would have made a lot of money from it. Mm-hmm. And um, and we said no. And I'm glad we did. It's, it's a dreadful book and a dreadful theology that he holds to. You know, that's really interesting because I don't know, I don't remember when... The- the book that I think you're talking about mm. came out. But I remember I was a member of some kind of book club or something yep, at yep. that point. I, I can't remember exactly how. And I saw this fabulous advertisement for that book. I didn't know anything about it, but the ad made it sound yep. so fabulous. And I I bought it. And yep. it just kind of shows you uh, marketing of Christian yeah. books yeah. can really work. But like you said, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a harmful book. And that, that's a really interesting point because on one level, we don't want to be the thought police. We don't want to, you know, have such a closed environment that people can't think for themselves. Mm-hmm. But equally, people often don't know what is good or mm-hmm. bad and need help and uh, with, with the discernment of what to read. And we don't always get it right. We're, you know, we're fallible as well, but we want to test it against the Bible. And so that's what we do with all of our books. And those that hold closest to the Bible, we want to really get excited about those. I suppose some booksellers, I've heard them say, well, we carry this book because this is a book that's being read Mm -hmm. by lots of people in the church. And so, you know, church leaders need to have access to it to understand that their people are reading it. I suppose that's just as just a different mission. Yeah, yours. and that that is an interesting point. We, you know, there's been times where somebody said, "Well, we want to read this as an eldership team so we can engage with it," mm-hmm. and I can understand that. I would personally rather not profit from selling those uh-huh. those sorts of books. I think that's where people like Tim Challies and others who review books can be so helpful because you can save yourself from reading these things. When we have a limited n- number of books we can read, you can save yourself from reading these things and read their review so you can engage with it. Also, we want to reach the masses with our books. So 10 of those are really trying to reach the average person in the in the in church who perhaps pastors will want to engage with these things but we want to protect the congregation from having to necessarily and so we exist really for the average church member I guess to read Mm -hmm. good stuff and it's sad that the majority of people are not reading a lot of Christian books they're reading a lot in terms of social media or whatever but not necessarily in Christian books so we when they do pick a book we want them to have a place where they can go where they know Okay, I don't necessarily know this book, but I know the place I'm buying it from. And so it will hold to the Bible so I can read it with confidence. Mm-hmm. Your model is very different, probably, than what most people are used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the States, people 
have been used to historically, you know, the, the bookstore down the street. Of course, as you know, in the States, Christian bookstores over these years have been closing, 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 and even recently kind of the only Christian bookstores left with a lot of stores. They've just announced they're closing a bunch of stores. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you have a warehouse that you sometimes open, yep. but the way you sell books online, you got to mm-hmm. sell online. So tenofthose.com. Right. Mm-hmm. How else do you sell books? Yeah. So we do a lot of events. So conferences and, um, you know, as we're talking here, you're speaking at a conference. We have a, what we'd call a pop-up bookstore here. But um, one of the biggest ways has been going to churches week by week, whether it's midweek for their Bible study or on a Sunday for their for their church congregations, where we would provide a pop-up bookstore and uh, bring a really good range. So say a church of 300 people, we might have 10, 12 tables. We'll be there for their services on the Sunday. We'll recommend four or five books in the service and the value of reading. So we may take three or four minutes in the in the service to say why people should be reading good stuff and then highlight four or five mm-hmm. books. And with that, highlight books that they may get for themselves, but also be thinking about those who aren't yet Christians, that maybe they could put a book into their hands evangelistically, maybe mm-hmm. at Christmas or at Easter throughout the year. We found that's a great way of getting resources out. People want to look and feel and, and open up the, the resources. So taking books to places is is helpful and worthwhile. Let's say I'm a pastor and I say, I don't know if I want people selling stuff in my church. Um, How do you interact with that pastor or church in regard to whether or not they're going to put in a 10 of those pop-up bookstore? Yeah, that's a a great question and we engage with that. So we, we will often say from the front, if you don't have the money or you can't afford it or you don't want to pay on a Sunday, but you promise to read it, just take it. We'd, we'd do like you to, really? Yeah, we do. We normally then say we'll overcharge somebody else and it will all balance <laughs> out. But our, our passion isn't to make a lot of money and, uh, and you know, um, buy a holiday home. Our passion is to get good books into people's hands. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, we need to make the finances balance, but um, the Lord is very kind and that happens. Mm-hmm. So you began selling a lot of books, but then the company transitioned a bit and you began publishing. Yeah, Tell us about that. It was really interesting um, because our, one of our first books was just a little 48-page book. And I'll tell you who it's by in a minute. People may know. But um, our desire to publish wasn't, oh, great, everyone's publishing. Let's We'll join that as well. It was really to publish things that others didn't. So evangelistic resources at, at low cost so people could be giving out for a, a pound, buy, buying it for a pound or a dollar or two so that they could afford to give it away, but also short books. So 48 pages, could read it in an hour, that sort of thing. And one of our first books was uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by uh, Tim Keller, which people may, may have heard of. I uh, heard it actually as a sermon initially, and it had a huge impact on my Christian life. I was struggling with quite a dark depression, which I'd had for a number of years, and I heard this talk, and it just transformed uh, my Christian life. I can't life. imagine you being depressed. Um, well, it's it's true. Yeah, the ty- the dark times were very, very were dark. They? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think often people who can be bubbly and mm-hmm. uh, upfront often have dark times. But yeah. that that was true for me. But this was really to to change my Christian life because he was saying. We all so often compare ourselves against each other. I'm better than them or I'm worse than them. And and the message of the book really is 
if we're trusting in Christ, we've, as it were, been to court. The judge has made his decision and his decision is we're declared free. And that was so liberating for me that I, I just sent an email to um, to Redeemer. And oh, said, don't give away your publishing Oh, secrets. I don't mind. It's, uh, it, I, I'm just delighted. It's, um, <laughs> I sent a generic to a generic email address yeah. saying, look, we'd love to just put this out in a little booklet. And we printed 2,000. Mm-hmm. It, it, it went and uh, it's done half a million copies now. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah, yeah. So God's been wow. very kind. That's awesome. So our publishing began really through that, and it, it's grown. We've done we've done a book with you, um, a children's book. We just want to make the gospel accessible, both in terms of content, availability, and price, and that's what we stand for as a publishing house. And so, whether it's we, we've got a new one coming out with Matt Smithhurst on how we approach our Bible reading, so things like prayerfully and humbly, etc. That's coming out soon. It's just a short book again, 48 pages, with the idea that a whole church congregation could read it because it's 2 or $3 and accessible, and but gets people into the Bible, points people to Jesus. You mentioned earlier on that you enjoyed reading Christian biography. Yeah. I want to, I want to spend some time talking about biography. I think any of us who've read biography, a lot of times those are some of the most impactful books mm, mm. that we have ever read. I can I can think of that for me. You're mm. just so um, moved, challenged by the way the Lord has worked in someone's life and the way they've chosen to live their lives in response to Christ. So if someone says, you know what, I just never have read much Christian biography, Give me the case for why maybe I ought to, but especially the build a case for me as a Bible teacher. Why should a Bible teacher be at all interested in reading much Christian biography? Because we think, oh, I got I need to be reading stuff to be be preparing my talks, and you know I need to be reading commentaries on whatever passage I'm teaching or whatever. Mm-hmm. So why should I read? Christian biography. Well, I would argue every Christian should be reading biography. So if if you're a new Christian, start with biography. If you're a professor in a seminary, you need to be reading Christian biography. And I've got good people to back me up on that. I remember reading um, John Piper saying that he uh, uh, used to read uh, Warren Wiersbe's biographies of people, and that really got him into uh, into biography. Biography, obviously, they're good stories, and so everyone loves a good story and a page-turner. But more than that, I think good Christian biography teaches us and shows us what the Christian life looks like with the ups and downs. One of the dangers with biography is that they can often be, people can be portrayed as, you know, they they never did anything wrong and they're just Mm -hmm, so saintly. mm -hmm. The best biographies are those that show when people made a mess of their Christian life Mm -hmm. and God still use them and so I think everybody should be reading Christian biography there's an American called uh, Ransom W. Cooper who said this about biography and I think it sums up why biography can help anyone in the Christian life but particularly Bible teachers he said the reading of good biography forms an important part of a Christian's education it provides us with numberless illustrations for use in our own service we learn to assess the true worth of, of character, to glimpse a work goal for our life, to decide how best to attain it, what self-denial is needed to curb unworthy aspirations, and then this crucial bit, and all the time we learn how God breaks into the dedicated life to bring about his own purposes. 
So for a Bible teacher, biography gives you great illustrations to, to show what the Bible says about being a disciple, for living for Christ, for sharing the gospel. You'll get illustrations which will be, be great windows uh, of, of light for your congregation as you preach or as a seminary, you're, you're teaching to people. So biography gives you those examples. Biography also shows us what Christian character should be like. Well, if if we're Bible teachers, we want to be showing what the Bible says about Christian character and, and godliness. Biography giving a goal for people's life. That's why I think new Christians, young Christians should be reading it to see, again, what is the Lord setting out for what my Christian life should be like? Not that these saints who uh, whose stories are recorded are sinless, but even in their sin, we see how God works. Then this crucial thing of self-denial and ultimately how God takes a life that's dedicated to him to use for his glory. Seeing disappointment, seeing tragedy, seeing the struggles, the battle of the Christian life, seeing the joys of a friend coming to, to the Lord, whatever this, their story is, I think just seeing how God takes hold of that life and uses it for his glory, even when it doesn't look like it. You know, Johnny Erickson, mm. her story... Read that. It's remarkable how God uses what seems to be the most tragic of situations. And yet the glory that's come from her life is remarkable. It's beautiful. Those sorts of biographies, I think, are really precious and should be read by any Christian here. Well, why don't you give us, let's say, your top five, okay? Oh, Uh, wow, okay. You know, not necessarily, I know, you gotta, yeah. (laughs) Give us, as Bible teachers... Five biographies that are going to challenge us, give us illustrative fodder mm-hmm. for our teaching, but just bring us joy to yeah. read. Well, there are loads, and there are different books for different people at different times mm-hmm. and seasons, so that needs to be remembered. I've got special ones here. I've mentioned Johnny Erickson. Mm-hmm. I think um, Cameron Coles, therefore, I Have Hope is an amazing one. The 21 Servants that uh, Crossway have done, which is a collection. There's loads of different ones. The mm-hmm. Hiding Place. Oh, it, The Hiding I mean, Place. I pulled that, that out again yeah. a few years ago. It's the kind, you know, yeah. many people have read a long yeah. time ago like I did. But to read it now... Yeah an older adult and think about the realities of her life in that prison camp and the choices she made and the way God met them miraculously. There's a remarkable line in that biography. So she was was in a concentration camp, Second World War. Um, There's a remarkable line where she turns to her sister and says, you know, I just can't go on. And Betsy says to, to Corrie, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. That's why biography is so important for lines like that. It's a great story, but there's great depth. Don't in the you be teaching. tearing up on me, Jonathan? Carswell. I know, I know. Sorry, yes. <laughs> right. So the the top five. Well, <laughs> what would I go for? I, the first Christian biography I I ever read um, was A Man in Christ, the um, story of Hudson Taylor, written mm-hmm. by Roger Steer, who um, um, uh, Hudson Taylor um, started China in the Mission, which is now OMF. He was from Yorkshire, which is where I'm from. And the short chapters, so it's very accessible. There's some Chinese names to get used to, etc. But that is a remarkable um, story of how this really uneducated guy gave his life for Christ on the mission field. And he famously said, I think if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to China. The, the Lord used his life to, to reach China and beyond. Uh, so A Man in Christ by Roger Steer, that's, uh, that's outstanding. One more recently, um, the story of a couple of Americans. It's called uh, We Died Before We Came Here. 
they had a bit of a messy Christian life, to be honest. And it's one of the reasons I love the book. Um, it's published by Tyndale House. Um, bit of a messy Christian life, but they had a desire to share the gospel with Muslims. So they went to North Africa, it doesn't say where, and uh, and were, were there to, to, to reach Muslims there. It explains in the first chapter how um, Emily's husband was, I think Stephen his name, uh, was murdered by Al-Qaeda. And it's the story of, of sacrifice and of loss. But actually, sacrifice and loss was before they even left because they knew they may never come back. And the, the sacrifice was dying to self to live for Christ. And Stephen ultimately gave his life uh, to share the gospel. But strikingly, Emily and the kids are still out there sharing the gospel. And um, I mean, oh, I cried a lot through that mm. book. Um, but also was deeply challenged of, okay, wherever I am in the world, have I died mm-hmm. to self? And... Yeah, that book was was just very very helpful in that in that. Um... That reminds me of a line in Rosaria Butterfield's book, "The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely yes. Convert," mm. and this was one of the most penetrating lines in that book to me when I read it, probably back about 2012. Yeah. And you know, she talks about coming out of this lesbian lifestyle, coming to Christ. She's starting to go to church. And, you know, looking around the church, and and I'll try to remember the line correctly, she says something like that she wondered if anyone else felt the the pain she did of dying to themselves every day. And I remember when I read that, I kind of thought to myself, when did I let myself off that hook? Because when she asked the question, I thought, I'm not sure I do. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that I think about my life yeah. on those terms. Of, But for her, you know, coming into the Christian life, for, for her, she's just, that is the Christian life. Yeah. I've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to die to myself every day. So, yeah. And that's right, isn't it? I mean, that should be the experience of every Christian, right. that we, we are dying to self. Romans 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Don't be saying that. That's the message I'm given in the morning. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> but that, that <laughs> is the message for every Christian, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. Rosaria, whether they're missionaries abroad or, you know, day, day to day, we're all, we're all mm-hmm. to live like that and die, die to self. What you got? Uh, well, Through Gates of Splendor was uh, was a special one. How could anybody, yeah, go through life without having read yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't read that, you, are you a Christian? I uh, know, well, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> and tell but, people yeah. what that is, because I, I don't yeah. mean to be condescending. Because in this in this day and age, a lot of yeah. people would never have heard of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm in my fifties, and so mm. yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons I want to promote biography. For, and some of these older ones for for a younger yes. audience because they they haven't necessarily heard of these. But um, it's a story of um, five guys who went to not five guys the restaurant five guys <laughs> who went to with their with their wives to reach the Aqua Indians um, Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott and uh, Nate Saint and others and um, and ultimately gave their life um, and the the story goes on as as the gospel is shared. Ultimately, this tribe. Most, if not all, I think, came to know to, to know the Lord Jesus. And uh, but again, it's one of sacrifice. But the teaching there that goes on through the telling of their story 
is one that's informative and helpful and challenging and almost one that we need to reread and reread because living sacrifices get off the altar don't we and mm-hmm. and so um yeah that is it's well written that helps so it's an easy read mm-hmm. uh it's gripping but it is gripping yeah it's it's a real page turner mm-hmm. um Another page turner would be, uh, which Ruth Graham Bell said, try this and see if you can put it down. It is simply unputdownable, if that is a word, is um, Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Dibler-Rose. I've never read that. Oh, Nancy, right. I'm going to have to send you a copy. Okay. It, it, it's, it's, it's outstanding. It really is outstanding. Say the title again. Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Dibler-Rose. Okay. So it's published by Authentic Media in the UK and HarperCollins okay. in, in the US. Darlene Dibleros was one of the first missionaries to New Guinea and um, during the World War was captured by the Japanese and maybe in some ways similar to a, a hiding place sort of story. But there are a few things that come through God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's provision. And again, this this attitude of my life is not my own mm-hmm. um which is seen in lots of different ways first of all her going as a missionary but things like her prayer life in the concentration camp mm. remarkable you know i live in a comfortable situation and my prayer life is is mm-hmm. ropey at best she was in the worst of situations and just loved talking with the lord mm. and just things like that it, mm-hmm. but again an absolute page turner. Don't start it at night because you you just you won't go to, to sleep. The no, no, it's just oh, it wow. is outstanding. Okay. I think that would be my my favorite. Okay, uh, maybe, all, then that'll so. be my next read. Yeah, I'll okay. send you a copy. Yeah, have what we exhausted are we our list? I think I'm not we're on sure. Four, are we? Okay, you got one more for us. One more. Well, this is very special um, because uh, this lady has a special place in my heart. Really, um, the only other lady beyond my wife to to have a special place, and it's um, the biography of the autobiography of Dr. Helen Roosevelt. Mm. So, um, give me this mountain, and he gave us a valley. Mm. Uh, um, when I was in Northern Ireland, Helen lived about four miles down the road, oh and. So I called her up with <laughs> with with bottle and uh, uh, a brass Yorkshireman said, "Helen, how would you feel if I came to see you for an hour every week and you teach me the Bible?" Oh, and um, and she said, "Absolutely, I'd love to." Wow. So it was actually a year and a half. We had um, nearly two hours every week, Seriously? and she just taught me the Bible. It was wow. it was a real privilege. Yeah. Oh, so wow. Helen Rosevere was a um, medical missionary to the Belgian Congo. And again, it's a story of sacrifice and suffering. She's a very intelligent lady. She studied at um, at Cambridge University. She was converted um, by um, under the ministry of um, Scroggy Graham Scroggy, and uh, who some people may know his writing writings. And um, yeah, again, just the Lord. She she just loved the Lord when mm-hmm. when he talked about Jesus. Her face would actually light up and um, a great line from from her her work uh, her writings and also in her speaking she would say about suffering that she'd got to a point in her relationship with the lord where she felt him as it were saying to her helen can you thank me for trusting you with this suffering even if i never tell you why and oh boy i mean you've got to be somewhere in your relationship with the lord for for, for that to one Thank him, mm-hmm. 
not because he's given you the suffering, he doesn't give us the suffering, but thank you for trusting you with it, mm-hmm. even if he ne- never tells you why. Mm-hmm. I, I just learned so much from, from, from Helen. Her love for the Bible and her love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So as people reading biography who are teaching the Bible to others, uh, biography, Helen's biography helped me see a love for God's word which should and does lead to a love for Jesus and he was clearly the one she adored mm-hmm. and it's just evident through her life and, uh, and through her bible teaching and I guess that's a challenge for for me as I talk to people about the bible and, and speak and get books etc is it about Jesus because it's Jesus that transforms and changes mm-hmm. lives. So as we open up the Bible, does that point people to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'd be my... Th- but there's many others. But, I so know, we probably- could probably go on and on, <laughs> I do, we? I do. <laughs> well, tell people how they can find 10 of those. Bless you, yeah. So you can find it online, 10ofthose.com, both uh, in America and the UK and uh, other places around the world as well. Uh, our passion is to get good books that hold the Bible in people's hands. And um, yeah, you may see it as conferences and churches yes, and places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what are some things you're working on right now? Um, so from the publishing point of view, um, with 10 Publishing, I mentioned Matt Smethurst's yes. um, uh, book. Uh, we have also got the um, biography of Maud Kells, autobiography of Maud Kells coming out. She was a contemporary of Helen Roosevelt and was out in the Belgian Congo. And she, I think I'm saying this right, she's 87 and a couple of years ago was shot uh, by uh, robbers. And she cried out to the Lord saying, please don't take me yet. There's so much more I'd love to do. And he he did. He saved her and mm. um, bless her. She is back out in the Congo as uh, as a missionary. At what age? At 87. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And so there, there are a couple of things we're um, we're doing a couple of books with you uh, as well, uh, Lord willing, uh, with the illustrator, and um, yeah, we we just want to get good stuff out into people's hands mm. that points to Jesus. Well, thank you, Jonathan. No, thank thank you. you for being my friend. Mm. I love having you as a friend. I love watching your life in your radical trust in God to work through you in the world. Uh, your you. love for blessing the world with good books. I love it that how much you believe in books mm. and believe not just in selling them, but believe that books change lives, that God uniquely somehow uses books to change the lives of people in uh, radical, significant ways. So, you. Thank, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie, a production of the Gospel Coalition, sponsored by Crossway. Crossway is a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible Christian Books and Tracts. Learn more about Crossway's gospel-centered resources at crossway.org.